Tonight I'm looking at and considering uh, the messages that are taught in Romans chapter 6. Now I'm going to read this chapter to you. It's only 23 verses long. And then we'll take a look at some of the major concepts within it. It is a continuation of the message that I uh, brought in the study hour this morning. But it is quite different from it. But the, the idea continues in the same strain. This morning we looked at the idea that, <clears throat> that he who commits sin, or shall we say in the ESV, who had, he who practices sin is a servant of sin. Now, the opposite of that, of course, if you change masters, is that he who practices righteousness is a servant of God. Now, we're going to see that concept presented in this passage. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so let's read these verses first. And if you would, please uh, keep in mind the words service, servitude, that type of thing. And also the idea of being dead to one, alive to the other. So as we read, <clears throat> what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a res resurrection like his. <clears throat> we know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin <clears throat> once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do not let sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from dead to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will, no, will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Well, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. <clears throat> I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, 
and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. <coughs> For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit, of you, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a tremendous passage in uh, the epistle to the Romans. In my opinion, <clears throat> the epistle to the Romans is the theology book of the entire New Testament. Now, all the epistles are God-breathed, of course. All of the scriptures is very good. And you can go to different epistles and find the solutions for different problems for people and for churches. But if you want to learn doctrine, if you want to learn soteriology, if you want to learn how you are saved and what the essence of the gospel is, Romans is the book you need to master. That's the book you need to go to. And I would say this, if it were not for chapters 4, 5, and 6, I believe that we would hold the idea of imputation completely different. The idea of being justified by the imputed righteousness, we would be challenged to have such a clear understanding of it. Because that is basically the entire essence of 4, 5, and 6. The idea that we have been given a righteousness by Christ, and that sin was laid on Christ, and we have a jurisdiction to deal with, that is the idea that there is a legal standing that we have before God, that this atoning work of Christ gives us. We have a new jurisdiction. We are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. We are no longer children of the devil. We are children of God. We have a different law under, that we are under. We have a different jurisdiction. Now, <clears throat> before I even go further, I would like to kind of dwell on that just a few minutes. I'm going to be going to England soon. My wife and I get on a plane, fly over there, and when we get off the plane, we're in a different jurisdiction. I cannot say, like people have said, I'm an American citizen. I demand my rights. Well, in England, you're an American citizen and you have to obey their laws. That's all there is to that. I cannot break their laws. I cannot do anything. As long as I'm in that jurisdiction, I must obey their laws. And so when I come back, I might say, I'm glad to be back under my jurisdiction. And I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell you again as a reminder that my son-in-law, Nicholas, when he was visiting here, they have a completely different mindset toward the government. I can remember driving off the off-ramp. We were behind a police officer, and the police officer was at a red light. And that police officer just stayed there. And when it turned red, I mean, when it turned green, he didn't move. I could see through the window he was looking at his laptop. So <clears throat> I politely honked my horn to remind him that he's at a green light. And Nicholas sat next to me. <sighs> he was aghast. He was aghast. Now, they have a different relationship with law enforcement over there and with the, the government, basically. I feel that I have a right to challenge my government. Over there, it's a little bit different. They photograph everything. They can, they can photograph you everywhere. But I'm just saying it's a different law, a different jurisdiction. We must get this in our minds that our salvation has a lot to do with 
the law, but it also has a lot to do with practical things of do we love God or do we love sin? Now, when you think of things like do I love God or do I love sin, think of sanctification. Think that God has set you apart, sanctifying you, keeping you separate, and is changing your heart and helping you and putting you uh, with, with, the, with the law of God written on your hearts with affection. But there's also the idea that there is just the plain jurisdiction of the law. And if you're guilty of the law, you must pay its penalty. Now, <clears throat> there's also the idea that we have an Old Testament, New Testament. Now, when you think of the Old Testament, I want you to think of the Mosaic Law and the covenant that was established there. Now, Adam and all of Adam's seed is under that kind of law, that kind of Mosaic Law, that kind of law that says between God and Adam, there is a law that says, do and live. If you do not, you're dead. You're, you die. That is that old covenant. The new covenant is this. There is God the Father and Christ. And he pleases God. He is the one that obeys this new covenant. What do we do? How, how does that relate to us? If you are in Christ, you receive the benefits of the New Testament. Of him keeping the virtuous, all-encompassing righteous law of God, not just mosaic, but all of God's character, everything about God, all that we should do, all that we shouldn't do, everything done the way Christ is, because the scripture tells us this, Christ was made under the law, and then if we are in Christ, we are saved from its debt and penalty under its jurisdiction. Now, I want you to learn some words tonight, and I want you to repeat them in your heads. When this passage tells us about jurisdiction, it's going to say dominion, under the dominion of that law, under the legal jurisdiction of it. <clears throat> now, I know that that word dominion has the idea that it can, you can have a dominating person come in and kind of dominate you know, the room or dominate you or, or that type of thing. This is more of a dominion where the government has the right to dominate you by the laws it passes. And it's a legal thing. Some people like to break the law. Some people like to keep the law. But nevertheless, they are obligated. And there is a legal obligation to obey that law. And if they are caught by law enforcement, they may be they required to pay the debt they owe to the law. Now, when it comes to being under the law of Moses, being under the law that, let's just say, that Adam was under when he was told, do not do this. Because that's basically the real covenant that we're under because we were in Adam. We were in Adam when we fell. And so anything that Adam did, we get. That's what's taught in Romans 4, 5, and 6. Okay? If you want a good read, read Justification by the Imputed Righteousness by John Bunyan. He was a tinker. He was a blacksmith. But he was a good theologian. He's as good as Jonathan Edwards. He's as good as any of the Puritans. He's excellent. And if you want to know how it works, read that book. It's not a very big book. <clears throat> so tonight, I have a doctrine I want you to take with you. If you seek enslavement to a new master, you will find freedom from your previous master. Okay? In other words, 
If you are a slave to sin, you have to leave that master. You have to seek another master, which is going to be Christ. You cannot serve two masters. It's just not done. It just cannot be done. And you will serve one or the other. You cannot say, well, I think I'll just serve myself. Well, that remains, that means that you remain a servant of sin because we have within our hearts, we are, we are depraved sinners. And we still serve sin, especially if you serve yourself. So repentance from that sin, a leaving of that master leads you to Christ. It can lead you no other place. If it leads you any other place from Christ, you just went to a new sin. That's all. True repentance always leads to Christ. It is like a coin. It has two sides, but it's just one coin. One side is repentance, the other side is faith in Christ. It is the same thing. It is the same action. To really embrace Christ must include leaving sin. It's leaving this master, going to that master. You have to leave sin. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian. It isn't. It's like a, a live dead man. It's a dead live man. You know, it's, it's just a paradox. It cannot be conceived of. But I understand that there is going to be taught in this chapter the idea that we are alive to God, we are dead to sin. And a lot of it is going to be a recognition of dominion. And this is going to be the fuel that we have. It's going to be the knowledge that we have that gives us the courage to serve a new master. So let's go on. We want to keep in mind as we read this that there are two basic metaphor ideas. Or, you know, there, it's a bit of a metaphor, but it's a bit of a teaching. I don't want to say that it's a real metaphor, but keep in mind when we read, it's going to have words and phrases that say, we are alive to God, dead to sin. That's like a main, or main idea and a major concept. It has to do with, if you are in Christ, you're going to receive what Christ did. Like if he dies, you died. If he raised, you raised. You see, and, and it's not like, oh, I have, to, I have to try to feel like I'm risen from the dead. It's not teaching you that. It, it, you can walk in newness of life if you realize that you have been given a legal standing of life. It's a legal standing. So, that's one thing to look for. Alive in Christ, dead to sin, that type of teaching. The next thing to look for is that you can only serve one. We serve sin or we serve righteousness. The idea of having a master. Now, I know that the idea of being a slave is kind of a negative thing. And not all men feel like, well, I don't want to be any kind of a slave. We saw that this morning during the study hour when even it was mentioned that, um, you know, Christ said, the truth shall set you free. And all of a sudden, people were triggered and they said, oh, we weren't slaves to anyone. Okay, we just weren't. And even though it was during the Feast of Tabernacles when they celebrated freedom from Egypt. But the idea that they didn't want to be considered slaves is a demeaning thing. But I don't feel that I am demeaned if I serve Christ. This is not a bad position. I enjoy being a slave to God. I enjoy being a servant to Christ. I wouldn't rather have no other master. I don't want anyone telling me what to do other than God. It's not like, well, no one's going to tell me what to do but God. No, 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 no. I want God to actually tell me what to do. I want the Holy Spirit to lead me in how I live. I'm not, no, I'm, you know, I used to be 
you know, like, don't tell me what to do, especially my parents and my brothers and people at work and so on. But <clears throat> what we now have is this whole new worldview, a worldview that says there is right and there is wrong, there is holiness, there is debauchery, there is sin. And when you serve holiness, you are serving the God who is the wellspring of that holiness. It only comes from one place. It comes from the heart of God to obey his laws, to obey his spirit. To obey what he teaches in the word is to follow your master. And so I want to be a servant. I want to be a slave. And I want you to recognize that there is no shame in serving Christ. There is no shame in taking the title of slave of Christ. It is a, a noble thing. It is a wonderful thing. We need to serve God. We need to be in service to him. And so we want to be able to answer the following question when we're done. What dominion am I under? In other words, what jurisdiction do I live under? Of which country am I a citizen? Okay? We want to be citizens of the kingdom of God. We want to be under the jurisdiction of God and not under the law that condemned Adam and Moses because that law will condemn you to death and it is a legal standing. Because men without Christ are already spiritually dead. They are already condemned. Their bodies continue on, but they're dying. Their bodies are as good as dead. They've been shot dead. They just haven't taken their last breath. And that's the way we are now. Our bodies are dead. These things are going away. But within us, we have the Spirit of God, and we are alive in heart and in spirit. So we have been translated already into the new kingdom. We are in under a new jurisdiction. So we need to keep that in mind because it's going to help us to understand that Satan has no legal right over us. We can refuse him effectively. <clears throat> when I was younger, I, I studied in school. I tried to every once in a while, but we had social studies when I was in school. And we learned how people came to the new world from the old world to the new world. And a lot of people would come over and they would be on ships, but they didn't have enough money. And so they signed a contract, a contract that maybe to a large company that would maybe raise cotton or maybe do this or maybe do that. But they said, I will work for you for seven years if you give me a free trip to the new world. And then at the end of that, give me a little bit of money to get started. And that's called indentured servitude. They were indentured slaves. And every, a lot of people did it. Irish did it. The English did it. Spanish did it. Anyone that wanted to get on the ship and then work for a company. Because these big companies wanted to make money and they needed people to work the land. Now, <clears throat> what would you think? How silly would it be to be an indentured servant to work, to agree to work for a company for seven years after you got to the new world. And after that seventh year, you just kept on working for them. And they just kept on acting like you were a slave. Hey, why didn't you show up today? Well, my contract said, don't get back out there. You get back there and work. And you say, well, okay. Well, how silly is that? Well, that's stupid. I would be working. I would be looking for the day. I would be counting days down. Oh, two more years. One more year. One more week. I'm leaving. When I get done, I'm going to have my own place. Christians, they need to approach their life like that. 
Sin and death has no jurisdiction over you. You know what you know? You, what you, use that knowledge and say, I don't have to be a, and under the dominion of sin. I do not have to say to myself, well, there's only this life and there's nothing after this. And we get all the gusto you can get, you know, just, you know, get all that you can out of this life because there's nothing left. Oh, yes, there is. You have a life. It has been purchased for you. And your death has been mitigated because Christ paid the debt. Paid the debt, and now you have this information. You have the knowledge of the gospel. You have a tool to talk to yourself. And it's important to talk to yourself. It's important to know the tools and the means of grace. I, I love the way Martin Jones, Lloyd-Jones would, would uh, talk about the idea of, he, he said this, don't listen to your heart. He says, everybody, they, they talk about, oh, just listen to your heart and follow your heart and this and that. Don't do that. He says, talk to your heart. Your heart is depraved. You need to talk to your heart. You need to tell yourself, don't do that, do this. You need to realize that your heart is deceptive. And so when we get the gospel, we need to tell ourselves, talk to yourselves. You had a slave mentality. You had a master that ran you ragged and said, do you want anything out of life? The only way to get anything out of life is to make sure that you do to them before they do to you. Make sure you do this before they do that. Make sure nobody talks to you like that. They can't talk to you like that. And there's only one way in this life. There's, you only have one life to live. Everything after that is nothing. So make sure you get yours, even at the expense of them. Don't let them, don't let people walk over you. You walk over them. You see, the master tells you how to live your life, and people live that way. I don't know about your families, but the Jarvis family, they never let anybody walk over them. It's so sad. So sad that I have a lineage of such pride and arrogance and cruelty. But we all have that, don't we? I remember going to my brother's wake. There were men there telling me about my brother, of all the awful things he did. I was so sad. I, I didn't know what to do. People telling me how bad my brother was trying to cheer me up. That's how the world is. The world cheers you up and said, oh, you know what he did? He kicked this guy's teeth out. Isn't that not supposed to be like laughing or something? <laughs> it was awful to be under that slavery. But the Christian, you need to realize, listen to the gospel. Tell your heart. You no longer have to serve sin. You can serve God even when it hurts because after this, there is a new heaven and new earth. No more is sin going to be around us. We have the courage to live a new life. This is why this relates to Romans, I mean, to Revelation chapter 13. It talks about the idea of serving God, no longer serving the devil. We have the image of Christ within us. If we listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to the gospel, we will have the very image, the expressed image of God in Christ in us. Oh, Paul cried and he said, oh, that Christ may be formed in you. Oh, only if you would just listen and learn and, and, and understand that Christ be formed in us. So these chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, dedicated to the doctrines of imputation, is very important, very important indeed. When we look at the very last end of chapter 5, before we get into chapter 6, we read this verse, chapter 5, verse 18. 
Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Do you see that idea of justification? The idea of the righteousness of Christ being imputed to me. My sin imputed to Christ and he pays for it. All of that. So with this idea being so clearly stated, that's why the beginning of this chapter begins with, well, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Really? You know, is that the idea? Because what happened there is that Paul is saying something like this. Even if your sin is this big, grace is this big. And if your sin is greater, grace is greater. And so something happens here called begging the question. Now, begging the question is misunderstood. Today, we think begging the question means, oh, that implies that a question should be asked. It isn't. Begging the question is a logical um, debating term. It means you're guilty of circular reasoning. That's what baiting the question means. You're guilty of circular reasoning. And Paul is saying, if you think that you should sin, that grace may abound, you are guilty of circular reasoning. Because Paul is saying, now that grace abounds, you don't have to sin. But if you have a wrong idea of it, you're saying, well, if grace abounds, if I sin more, grace is really going to abound. Circular reasoning. Why would you want to do that if you're trying to be saved from sin? You see, the argument of the person that says, well, if I get saved and I can't lose my salvation. You see, I sound like a hillbilly when I do that. When I get saved and I never lose my salvation, I'll get saved and live like the devil. That's circular reasoning. Because Christ came to save sinners from their sin. To destroy the works of the devil. And so what's comforting to us is that no matter what we did, God's grace is bigger than that. So what shall we say then? Shall we continue? And he says, by no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you see? Paul is now using the reasoning that's found in, in chapter 5 by saying, you died to sin. Well, when did you die to sin? In Christ. You died to sin in Christ. How shall you live in it? Can you not see that you to use this information, use the gospel of Jesus Christ to help you understand that now that you have died to sin and have been raised to new life in Christ, you can now serve a new master. This is your purpose. It is in Christ. You're no longer in Adam. Understand your legal rights. Understand the jurisdiction of where you now live. You no longer live in this present evil world. You live in the kingdom of God. And the law there says, this debt has been paid. You're no longer under that law. You are under grace. Unfortunately, when we get to that part, this has been so fought over. People have just, you know, their stomachs have churned for this because what happens is that people say, well, <clears throat> they accepted the Lord as their Savior, but not their Lord. You know, and they, and they get this type of terminology. That's same circular reasoning. That's the same thing that's being asked in Romans 6.1. Same thing. That's the same argument. the same problem. And so we need to clearly understand that we are no longer under the jurisdiction of the old covenant. Now, let's go to verse number three. <clears throat> Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. Now, some people like to think that, oh, this is a, this is a verse that teaches about baptism. Actually, it does not. 
It has to do with this. Being baptized into Christ is the same thing as being in Christ. You see, he's using that idea. He's using that terminology. If you're in Christ, you died when he died. If you're in Christ, you were raised when he was raised. So being placed into Christ. You could use that same terminology. If you were baptized into Christ or if you were placed into Christ, you were also placed into his death. So legally speaking, legally speaking, Christ accomplished all the requirements of the law. And legally speaking, so did you. So did you by way of Christ. Not that you worked, but he worked. It is his work that saves us. So Paul continues to speak like this. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism unto death. Why? Because we were in Christ. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, who too, we too might walk in newness of life. That is the purpose behind it. The purpose behind being in Christ, to be in his death, to have our debt paid, and to be raised from the dead, to have spiritual life put within us even now, is that we can walk in newness of life. To walk the way he walked while he was alive. Because listen to this next verse. For, with, for if we have been united with him. See, now he could have said, if you have been baptized into him. Or if you have been placed into him. But if you've been united with him in death, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. Now I look forward to the day when I'm actually resurrected. I will be physically resurrected. Now if, I, if he comes back and I'm taken up in the air, this body is going to be changed. It's going to be the same thing. If I just change or if I get, you know, turn to worms on the ground and come up, it's all the same. This body's going away. I get a new one. That's going to be true. But now we're looking at the idea of being raised in heart, raised to life, and we can walk in newness of life. It's important to know our legal rights so that we can challenge the devil when he says, why are you not working in my fields? Don't you have, a, don't you have an urge in your heart to do that? That's because you belong to me. Don't you have a passion to do that evil thing? Don't you want to cheat? Don't you want to lie? Because it always is so profitable. After all, it's all you have right here. When you die, you don't have anything else. Follow me. He wants you to work in his field. But you can say, you have no jurisdiction over me. Death is not, it's not my realm. I am no longer held by death. I am spiritually alive. Why? Why do I say that? Because Christ told me this in his gospel. I tell myself that. I tell myself that. That's how you live by faith. You tell yourself the gospel and you believe the truth and the Holy Spirit aids you in that. The means of grace, the word with the Spirit, that's how it works. Let's go to verse number six. <clears throat> we know that our old self was crucified. Really, a lot of people say, well, I, I tried to crucify myself one time, but I still just keep... No, 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 no. This is... This is Christ's crucifixion. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is what we tell ourselves. You were crucified in Christ, and when he rose, you rose. Now mortify your sins. Now you can say to yourself, well, perhaps you should kill sin in yourself. After all, Christ died for you. Why not serve him by killing the death in you, by killing the sin in you? John Owen said it real well. He said, if you're not killing sin, sin is killing you. That's all there is to it. There's no other way around it. So we need to recognize and to teach ourselves and to tell ourselves and to even argue with ourselves 
And if we have the right facts, we can win that argument. Because the old man is going to argue with the new man. Because it, that's just the way it is right now. The way you always were, those memories are still there. Those passions are still there. You still, you still remember the way life was. And if you go back and you commit a sin, perhaps even the pleasures of sin are still there. But I'll tell you what, the pleasures of sin is not to be compared with what you endure in this life with the pleasure that God has in the beauty of his presence of holiness. Really. That's exactly the reasoning Moses had. He said he did not deem the pleasures of this present world. In other words, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh in order to be identified with the people of God who were slaves. And that's what we need to do. We need to look around and say, self, stop sinning and serve Christ and serve God. It's better to be a servant of God and be poor and weak in this world and to serve God and to be in the presence of the Lord in the next world. Because that's exactly what Moses said to himself. And he gave up luxury. He gave up a place in, in the palace. I mean, the best we can do is just give up a, a good car or something, you know. But we would. We would sell out for that cheap, wouldn't we? But Moses is a good example for us. Let's go on to verse number 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. <clears throat> this is also going to take us into a legal jurisdiction area. Remember that the law has control over you as long as you live. Okay, but if you're dead, the law does not have any control over you. No one's going to go into a graveyard and hand out tickets for loitering. The police aren't going to dig you up and give you a citation, report to the judge, you've been here too long. No, the dead is no longer under the jurisdiction. And so when we are in Christ, we need to say, Christ died, I died. At the law that Adam and all his seed were under, the Mosaic law, all of that, I'm not under that jurisdiction. I'm dead. Even Paul said, well, now you're free to marry someone else. Woohoo, Christ. You were married to the law. Now you can marry someone else. You see, you have no more jurisdiction. It's a legal thing. You need to remind yourself. You need to teach yourself. You need to have that idea. For he who has died has been set free from sin. Now, to be set free from sin, some people like to read this and say, I would love to be set free from its temptation and enticement. It seems like I'm always enticed. I'm always like, oh, I shouldn't look or I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't think. They think that when this happens that they'll no longer have any temptation like that. That's not true. No. But you need to tell yourself that you no longer have a master that says, I own you. You are mine because you are sin, and this sin is as strong as the law that condemns you. Your death is as strong as the holiness of God, and there's no breaking out of it. You know what we can say? My debt has been paid. God has already died for me. I have been set free. I am no longer under that jurisdiction. I am no longer under that dominion. That no longer has me. That's what you need to tell yourself. And that is why you can now serve a new master. You need to get in the fray and you need to get in the fight. You need to tell yourself, because God has bought me, I'm going to serve him. You see, your knowledge of your justification 
is the major tool of your sanctification. You must serve God. You must serve righteousness. If you do not, you're only lying to yourself. You are in the boots of the mercenary that says, I'll serve God for gain and give him lip service and gain heaven even though I can live for sin. That'll never fly. Never fly. You think you can get that past the Almighty? I can see all knowing. Do you really think that a man can outfox God? Oh my goodness. Everyone actually knows this, that they cannot outthink God. Everyone knows they can't fool him at the judgment day. But for some reason, heresies stick to us like glue. We just can't seem to get rid of it if we just seem to want to grab onto it and take it. And we can't break this servitude because they are under that jurisdiction. But I'm telling you, once God, by the power of his spirit, uses the means of grace and tells you the truth and the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, then you will be enabled. The life of you will there see the sweetness of true holiness and you'll start serving God the way you should be serving God. And you need to stick with it too. You need to stick with it. We need to understand these legal things. Let's go to verse number eight and nine. Now if God, now if we have died in Christ, with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. But we should say this to ourselves, and therefore it no longer has dominion over us. Do you see the idea? Do you see the reasoning that's going on here? Do you see how Paul is leading us along this path? We've been translated into a new kingdom. No longer is there this legal dominion. Nobody can come to your door and give you a summons and say, get back in that grave. No one ever is going to take you at the judgment day and say, you are forever separated from God because this sin has to take you away from his presence. Your soul is safe in the hands of Christ. He says, where are thine accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Do you see the beauty of it? Do you see the grandness of the way God has given us facts that we can talk to ourselves and we can know and live by this faith? And now you have good reason, good reason to mortify the sin within yourself, to serve a brand new master, to serve God with all of your heart. For the death, and this is verse number 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And that is true for us. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, the, the key word here is that you must consider yourselves. Do you see? He is saying this. Since this is true, you need to think of it this way. Consider yourselves dead. You don't have to say, I don't feel dead. Well, I don't feel alive. I don't feel anything. No, this is the jurisdiction thing. You need to think it. You need to consider it. You need to live by faith. Consider yourself dead uh, to, to sin, alive to God. And that gives you the ammunition. That gives you the strength of heart. You must consider yourselves alive to God in Christ. The power of imputation. His righteousness is given to you as a gift. Your death 
given to him, and he paid for it. How worthy is the Lamb? There's no one other than the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, not only to break those seals, but he is the one that can deal with sin. He is dealing with our sin. He is dealing with this whole world based upon the fact that he died for sin and that he can use sin to even bring good out of it. Look at us. He can bring us and make good out of it. Isn't it grand to be in the hand of God, bringing us out of sin, giving us hearts that have his law written on it, the law of Christ, the law of Christ. Now, we haven't done away with the law, right? We have done away with a contract that saves us by the law, but the actual real law, the law of Christ, is actually written in our hearts. We embrace the law. The law is our path that leads us to righteousness where we serve our new master. Now, if you don't serve Christ, what makes you think you're in him? So use the knowledge. Use the knowledge. Verse number 13. Do not present your members to sin as instru instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as though who has been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So, this is how Paul is describing it. <clears throat> your soul, your heart, in Christ. And you know what you have here? It's just an instrument. It's a body that's going to be like a tent, folded up and put away when we get out of this wilderness. But what we can do is use this instrument for the glory of God. This is all we have right now, this instrument. So let's present this instrument to God. You remember how chapter 12 begins? Therefore, you know, offer yourselves as a sacrifice to God. It's the same way. He's saying the very same thing here, just in a slightly different way. Present your bodies to God and to serve God. This is verse number 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, some people like to look at this and say, well, it, doesn't, it means that, 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 that sin won't, won't be able to hold you in its little grip and say, you should do this and that. Well, the knowledge will. If you do not believe that you have actually been taken out of that jurisdiction and Satan can whisper in your ear the lie that says, why are you not in my fields working? Do you not know that you, a person like you, when you stand before God, he's going to condemn you? He is. There is nothing for you than right here. This is all you have. Get back in line. Get back and serve me. But we are no longer in that domain. We are no longer under that jurisdiction. We need to understand that. We are no longer under that law, that deal, that contract that says, unless you do this, you will die. We are, under the, we are under the New Testament where Christ says, I have done this for them. And they repent and believe. We have been saved from having to save ourselves, which we cannot do. So we are under grace. Those that, dis under, that, that misunderstand this, 
They're always going to say the word, oh yes, I know we're under grace, but if you don't keep the law, you just can't be saved. They don't quite say it in those words. Okay? They don't. We are saved by grace alone. But we are saved to serve a new master. To serve a new master. Holiness. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? See that? That's begging the question again. Because it always comes back, does it not? Those that misunderstand the grace of God and the offer of salvation by saying, believing in Christ and his work is leaving sin. This is the gospel. People always want to say, if I do A, I get B for it. They are always in that contract mode. Quid pro quo. How many times have I said that, right? It's Latin. It means I get this for that. It is the basis of making a binding contract in our government, in our country, right now. If you go before a judge and you say, oh, did you have a contract with this person? Well, what did you get and what did you get? If he says, well, I didn't get anything, he says, that's not a contract. That's not a contract. Get out of here. But if you gave consideration for services rendered, or if you gave a dollar for a book, that's a contract. We cannot go to God and say, here is my obedience, give me salvation. We are not saved that way. We're saved by an imputed righteousness. And we are no longer under the jurisdiction of that old covenant. That is how it works. So, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law? See, that's another way of saying, under that domain, under that dominion, under that jurisdiction, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to life, which leads to righteousness? So I ask you, who in the world is your master? You know, you know who your master is. It's the one that you obey. And that's the case, isn't it? I don't even have to convict people of sin. All you have to do is be truthful and honest with yourself. You are the servant of the one you obey. And that's what Paul is saying right here. And that's giving them, that's giving the people in Rome an encouragement. But also giving those who misunderstand the gospel a reprimand at the very same time. <clears throat> but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart through the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin. Now you see, that idea of being set free from sin is the legal standing because he knows that men are still struggling with sin. There's still the flesh. There's still the body there. They're not free from that temptation. But knowing their legal rights enables them, helps them to fight sin. You, flee, you, you, you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. you. You humble yourself before God, he will give grace. God gives grace to the humble. He will resist the proud. Your sanctification is an ongoing work. It's a good work. It's something that God will help you with. But you need the knowledge to know that. You need the facts and you need to talk to yourself about it. You need to remind yourself, you have been delivered from death and the grave by the work of Christ. You're no longer under that dominion. 
<clears throat> I'm speaking in human terms, this is verse number 19, because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members. Now, what do you mean by members is that your own physical bodies, you know, who you are right now in this body. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. If need be, suffer for Christ. If need be, allow yourselves to be humiliated for Christ. Whatever these bodies can do, work for him. Give, uh, give in your church. Do all these things for him. Work as you can. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You see, you're either slave to one and free from the other. And when we were under the sin, if we were under, you know, the old world, we were free from God. You know, and that's basically the idea of being dead to God. Being free from his influence. Being free from his spirit. Being free from the obligations of loving, of loving God and, and being with God. But what fruit were you getting in that time? From the things of which you were now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin. That's the dominion of sin. That's the legal term of being you are no longer under death in the grave, and that you have become slaves of God, the fruit of serving God, the fruit of being a servant to God, leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. Why? Because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I'll be real quick with this. I only have one type of, of application here, and that is this. Look for the answers in the Scriptures where the Lord tells you the answers will be found. And why would I talk like that? Because the world has a way of suggesting, why don't you look here? The flesh has a way of suggesting, why don't you look in there? Be true to yourself. You know, this above all else, do thine own self be true. Doesn't that sound like it's from the Bible? No, it actually sounds like it's from Shakespeare. This is from Hamlet. And some people think that's Bible. This above all else, do thine own self be true. No, 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 no. Talk to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. Don't be true to yourself. Be true to Christ. The world will suggest you look in a certain place. The devil will suggest you look in a certain place. But Christ has said. Well, let me read to you what Christ has said. In John chapter 8, as we said this morning, and verses 20, 31 through 34. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And remember what type of, you know, uh, fight that, that ensued. This is where you look. You look for the truth. And who is the truth? Jesus Christ is the truth. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will be free? And then Jesus answered this, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So if you want to know where the truth is, Jesus Christ is the truth. Why? He said, I am the light of the world. And that's when they said, now wait a minute. Your witness is not true. Where's your witnesses? Now he is the light of the world. When it comes to looking where God says to look, where, where the Lord says to look, we need to understand this. Paul was very clear in telling us imputation is the key to understand how the mechanism of the gospel works. You need to understand that we are no longer under the dominion of sin. We need to offer our bodies as a sacrifice to him. How do we do this? We should, as a church, bond with each other. We need to love each other. We need to carry each other's burdens, cry with each other, laugh with each other, 
pray for each other. This is what Christ tells us. This is what the Bible tells us. You need to listen to the teachers and to the preachers in your congregation. The Lord has provided leaders for you. Preaching and teaching is very important. If they do not point you to Christ, get new leaders. But if they do point you to Christ, then by all means, listen to them. Listen to them. Submit yourself to them. Take heed to the warnings they give you. Be encouraged by the truth. Diligently read your Bible. How precious is the truth in this dark world? We need to work while it is day. Work while you can. Apply it to your hearts. We need to pray without ceasing. Pray for the things that you know that the Holy Spirit approves of. Pray for the things that you know that the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. So encourage yourself with this. Talk to yourself. Give yourself the facts of the gospel daily. The means of grace, the word and the spirit of God living within us. Think on these things. Whatsoever is good, think on these things. Remind yourselves of them. Do these things. The Lord has sealed his people with the Holy Spirit. But this is only an earnest of our full inheritance. That what we have now the means of grace where Christ is formed in us, that is just the earnest. One day we will be in his presence. One day we shall have our God. He is our inheritance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we know that you have set your seal upon your people. You have put your mark on their forehead and upon their hands. We are recognized by what we love and who we love, our goals that we want to achieve, and our master whom we want to serve. It is proven by what we do with our hands. So, Father, deliver us from those who carry the mark of the beast. But, Father, enable us, by your grace, using the means of grace, your precious word and your precious spirit. Give us this grace, we pray in our Lord's name. Amen.